And pray with me, please. Come, Spirit of the living God. Come, Spirit of the God of angel armies. Come, Spirit of healing. Come, Spirit of lament. And remind us that there is joy in the morning. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. I uh, neglected in my announcements to mention that we have two uh, young girls uh, right now down at MUSC. Uh, both of them uh, with diagnoses this week that came as a surprise, came out of left field, to use an expression that we're all familiar with, to their parents. Um, little Berkeley Ford is down there with a large tumor in her abdomen that's attached itself to her spleen and to her kidney. And at 2 o'clock today, the doctors are going to, and I have both of the parents' permission to speak about this. They're going to they're gonna remove as much of the tumor and the tumor they hope they find. They're going to remove that tumor, her kidney, uh, part of her spleen or all of her spleen, and some of the infected uh, ducts in her body. Uh, they just found out about this on Monday. It's just Wednesday. So less than 48 hours. Monday she was at the preschool. Sunday she was up here singing for us at the 9 o'clock service. Uh, yesterday, the Welches found out, Brian and Susan Welch, that their daughter, who had been complaining of leg pain all summer, but still playing, I think, soccer and softball, and had been injured a couple times, and they were just chalking it up to growing pains and maybe a ball injury hit her in the knee. Uh, they got results of their MRI back. She has a tumor on her femur. She has some strange tumor that's growing on her femur. And this morning, 24 hours later, the Welches are down there at MUSC. Now, the most amazing thing in all of this for me as your rector is that there are two of our prayer ministers in Charleston right now who are in the parking lot, I hope, uh, and trying to uh, connect with the Fords and the uh, Welches. Uh, they just, God incidentally, happened to be in the area. Uh, and so Prince George Winyaw has people in the hospital in Charleston, and Prince George Winyaw has prayer ministers in Charleston. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But we want to, I want to remember those two children as we go through our uh, litany of healing, uh, Berkeley and Stella, okay? That's, um, for the parents, that's, that's lament. I'm, uh, I'm intimately familiar with uh, the care of sick children. I won't get into that, but uh, you lament when your child is very ill or critically ill. You can't help but lament. What is lament? Well, lament is to express sorrow. I'm so sorry I spilled your coffee or your wine. That's a small lament. Or to express mourning, M-O-U-R, mourning. Man, oh man, I wish I had gotten the chance to say goodbye to that person. Or regret, gosh, I wish we would have locked the gate so that dog wouldn't have gotten out. He never would have been hit by that car or to regret strongly a crying out in grief. Aloy, Aloy, lava satani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, 1, Matthew 27, Mark 15, and of course the words of Jesus from the cross, the loudest lament on earth. Jesus laments a lot in the Bible, brothers and sisters. He laments, the Bible tells us, at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He cries. It's 
strongest form or strongest expression of lament. And he cries again, not because he can't do anything. He doesn't cry because he's helpless. He doesn't cry because he's afraid, all the reasons we typically lament. He cries because his creation, the beautiful creation that was created through him, has been perverted and broken. And the, and the strongest symbol of that perversion is death. That's what Jesus is crying about. Jesus laments at the rich young ruler who can't let go of his worldly possessions. He can't go all in with Jesus. What must, I do, what must I do to inherit the kingdom, he says. And Jesus says, do this and do that. And he answers quickly like a good lawyer maybe. Oh, I've done those things. And then Jesus knows his heart and says, well, then give everything you've got to the poor and come follow me. And the young man can't do it, and Jesus laments. And Jesus laments before he goes to the cross as he looks at the city of Jerusalem, the nation that should have received the Messiah with open arms, that should be lining up to cheer his triumphal entrance into Jerusalem. He laments because he knows what's getting ready to happen to him. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, like a mother hen, I long to gather you under my wings. Jesus laments. But notice this about Jesus and lamenting. Except for the cross, Jesus always laments for others. He always laments for others. We, on the other hand, almost always, first and foremost, lament for ourselves. Most of us, 21st century followers of Jesus, Lament like the character from a Christmas tale, um, from a Christmas carol, Ebenezer Scrooge. You know, we're, we're confronted with the fact or the reality in our lives that we've made a mistake or we've really messed up. Or even on a deeper level, we lived for the wrong reasons. Or we've put things in our lives as gods that didn't deserve that place. We find ourselves lamenting at that dark moment. Because I believe our short memories lead us to believe that there seems to be no way ever to get out of this. There's no way to reverse the wrongs or the grievous mistakes we've made. There's no way, as Joel will say in a little while, to restore the year the locusts have eaten. Did you hear all about the locusts at the beginning? Unless we think the Bible is irrelevant, yesterday on Reuters, pretty a trusted news source, right now in Kenya, Africa, they are experiencing the largest plague of locusts in the recorded history of Africa. Right now, the locusts that we just heard about are ravaging the crops in Africa. The cool part of the story was there's apparently some scientists who are gathering up the dead locusts and turning them into feed for animals. It's on Reuters, go look it up, it's amazing. It's amazing, but we think that we're never going to be able to get back the time we've wasted. We're never gonna be able to get back the mistakes we've made, we lament because we didn't act the right way. We were afraid or we were powerless. Or at the time we were unable to figure out what to do or confusion kept us at the sideline. We lament because we feel hopeless. All of those brothers and sisters, by the way, are tricks of the devil. Remember we're in Lent, Jesus 40 days in the wilderness, driven out into the wilderness, confronted by the devil. We're confronted by the devil every day, like it or not. Lamenting just seems to be a part of our life, whether we like it or not. And we, I believe, tend to dwell on those things that we ought not to have done. Especially when we're confronted with somebody's death or the loss of a loved one. One of the most poignant stories in my life about regret and lament was from a high school friend. Her name's April. And uh, a friend of ours died very quickly. He was living in Virginia. He, was a, he worked at a, a children's um, he worked at a boys' school, a military school up there called Fork Union. 
And he had married a, a girl um, after he had gone to the Citadel. He and I were friends in high school. Uh, we stayed sort of in touch. But his high school girlfriend, April, after she learned of his death, she reached out to me a few years ago, and she said, Gary, I need to talk to you. And so we met for coffee, and I hadn't seen her in a few years. And what she wanted to tell me was how much she regretted, how much she lamented, never telling my friend Dwayne how much she appreciated that he didn't push her in high school to make a bad decision. That she had been able to marry the man of her life who she was married to, um, and she was able to marry him in the way that she always dreamed of being married because she realized that she had a high school boyfriend, and they were boyfriend and girlfriend for four years. But she wished she could have told him before he died how much she appreciated what a gentleman he was. And there we were in IHOP, both of us crying, and I'm holding her hands, and she's holding my hands. And I said, well, maybe in some mysterious and supernatural way, April, he can hear you now. I don't know. I know our prayers ascend to God. Maybe God's going to lean over and say, hey, Dwayne, quick note from April. I don't know. But maybe by telling me, maybe a representative of the church. I don't know. But I know this. You need to have said that. It would have been better could you have said it to his face. I agree. You wouldn't have this regret. But we all need to say those things. We need to get it out of us. So I want to make an argument in closing that the way we go through life today is not so much a lament as it is at least a reflection because on this side of the cross, because that's where we are, we've been taught and preached that Jesus has come to take away our laments, that Jesus has come to help us live a life of forgiveness, and that our laments as quickly as possible should be replaced by a life of gratitude and thanksgiving. Most of us at this noon service, I imagine, if we think about how we lament, would probably go quickly to lamenting for members of our family or our friends or our neighbors who don't know Jesus. Our lament is slowly being turned by our relationship with Jesus into a lament that sounds like a friend's prayer yesterday. He, he prayed something like this. He wanted to pray for the anger of this woman that has gone through life denying that there is a God. There's an atheist in this person's family. And this person just felt so strongly and sadly that this person didn't know God, that they wanted to offer prayer for it. That was their lament. And that's my example of what Christ will do if we'll let him. The 21st century lament for Christians needs to be, or what we've been told at least, is that people who don't know the power of the resurrected Christ in their life are those to be pitied the most. So it's no longer an Ebenezer Scrooge lament for ourselves. No, it's kind of gotten broadened. As we walk and reflect with Jesus, our lament becomes a cry of the heart that sounds like something we hear all the time, and you hear it in hospitals especially. I don't know how people get through life without God. How many times have we heard that? We know Isaiah 41.10, God saying, Fear not, I am with you. We know and believed, and even better, some of us have experienced Jesus' words, Take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus speaking victory into our lament. Because when that happens, the Christian lament goes from being that Ebenezer Scrooge style of lament or more into the promises of Joel style lament or, to use one last film, like George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life. Remember that film? Most of us watched it at Christmas by Frank Capra, 1946 movie, George Bailey. I'm getting some smiles. George spent his whole life being kind to everyone else in town, helping others out that were going bankrupt, loaning money, doing all kinds of things, only to find himself at the moment of the Great Depression broke. 
the little lending company that he had is out of money and all of the people are coming calling for their money and George's best efforts have left him exactly where he hoped he'd never be until a guardian angel shows up and intervenes and shows him how many people he's rescued and saved who are now going to come to his rescue. That's the story of scripture. That's the true story of lament. Scripture tells us that the loss of time we experience in service to God, the loss of money or treasure that we experience in the service of God, always gets multiplied and brought back to us now and in eternity. The years the locusts have eaten, Joel will say, the time we can't get back will be restored. The Bible's clear that a life lived for God, a life lived in Christ, is full of sorrow and joy. With this Lent, remember that Christ has set us free from the day-to-day personal lamentations that burden the world. Not so that we can live carefree and careless lives, no. He has set us free from our daily lamentations so that we can be the instruments of his love and reconciliation to the world. As Paul says so beautifully in Romans, and I'm just going to read a few verses. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings, the lamentations of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to each of us. What then shall we say to these things, these sufferings, these lamentations? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? No, hear this, brothers and sisters, today. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor surgery, nor cancer diagnosis, nor divorce, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So spend some time this Lent contemplating those areas in our lives that need contemplation. Confess those areas. Don't neglect them like my friend April. Don't miss your chance. A chance to build up the body by thanking someone, by forgiving someone, by setting someone free from our anger or our hurt, or our resentment, then, brothers and sisters, then move out in the power of God's forgiven love to engage the world with the message that it's okay to be or feel sorry. It's okay to lament, but that's only half the story. The other half that we know is this. It's a far better thing to confess our sins, our laments, our burdens, and ask forgiveness because that leads to our being saved. Sorry is good, but saved is better. Amen.